So today's reading is from Psalms 1. Just a second, do I get that? (laughs) So if everyone can turn to their Bibles, it's Psalms 1. Lovely reading. So it says, Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on this law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by the streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked, they are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor the sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Holly. Uh, Before I preach, I thought I'd treat you to some bands of marriage. It's actually a real privilege to read these out. So, I published the bands of marriage between Jacob George Anderson Barrell of St. Mary and St. John Church, Cowley, and Elizabeth Jane Clear of St. James and St. Francis, Cowley. This is the second time of asking. If any of you know any reason in law why they may not marry each other, you are to declare it. I also published the bands of marriage between Michael William Blakelock of the parish of North Abingdon and Kirsty Louise Walter of the parish of North Abingdon. This is again the second time of asking if any of you know any reason in law why they may not marry each other, you are to declare it. Are the couples here this evening? It'd be great to pray for you. Do you want to stand? (laughs) Amazing. Why doesn't everyone just put a hand out, stretch out a hand towards them? And we just bless these two couples. Father God, may the favor and the blessing and the abundance of heaven uh, rain upon them throughout their marriage throughout their lives. Lord, we thank you for them, and we pray a rich blessing upon them. Amen. Okay, so we're going to look at Psalm 1 tonight, and um, we're starting a new series on the Psalms. And what better place to begin than Psalm 1? It's, it's a very short psalm, it's a punchy psalm, and it outlines an answer to an important question. And the question is this, what is the path to blessing, prospering, and fruitfulness in life? What is the the key, so to speak? What is the secret? The world would give many answers to that question, but Psalm 1 lays down this challenge that the way to God's blessing, to prospering, and to fruitfulness is found 
by abiding in God. For when we abide in God, as the psalmist says, we become like a tree with its roots in the waters, bearing great fruit. So tonight I want to talk about abiding, and then we will contrast abiding with the way of the wicked. And abiding starts with delighting and meditating. The very first thing this psalm encourages us to do is to delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on his law. As it says, blessed is the one who meditates on his law day and night. We are called to meditate on the word of God. The Hebrew word for meditate is horgor, which means to ponder and murmur. When we have our devotional times, we're not meant to read the word in a hurry, but rather chew over it and speak it over our hearts, ponder and murmur. And that means really slowing down. It's not always easy with our hurried lives, but we need to go slow and soak in the word, marinate in it, feast on it, draw life from it, day and night in joy and in tribulations. And as we do so, the word will do its work in us. Much of modern media has a somewhat polluting quality, but the word washes us. It cleans and sanctifies us. It separates soul from spirit. It renews our minds. And most importantly, the word leads us to the author. Scripture is the window through which we see the face of Jesus. And as we meditate on the word, our thoughts and our affections are turned towards him. As we abide in the word, we abide in God. And our psalm asks us also to delight in God's word. The Hebrew word for delight here is kephetz, which means to take pleasure in. We pleasure in the God who is revealed in these pages. Did you know that God actually wants us to enjoy him? That we can find our deepest purpose and joy in life by simply delighting in him. God himself is the highest delight and pleasure. And our delight in him is the very thing that honors him the most. The Westminster Catechism states that the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. And I would say we glorify him by enjoying him. Our personal satisfaction in God is actually the, the essence of true worship. We were created for delight and nothing else will do. Psalm 16:11, you, God, will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. God wants to take us into a place of pleasure and bliss in him, where he himself becomes our overwhelming delight, the object of all our affection. And the deeper we go in delight, the higher we will soar in the spirit. Isaiah 58, 14, then you shall take delight in the Lord and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. In some traditions, however, you'll hear more about duty than delight. When our walk with God is laden by duty or by the need to measure up or achieve, there is little joy, little delight. 
But when we know that the goal of the spiritual life is simply to delight in God, then it takes the pressure off. If you start a prayer time and you feel dry or unmotivated or if you feel pressure to pray for lots of different things, why not just drop all that and say, Lord, I am simply here to delight in you. Be free from any other yoke. In devotional times, let delight in God be your only obligation and let God delight in you. As it says in Psalm 149, for the Lord takes delight in his people. The Christian faith is mutual delight. So we are to delight in God and meditate on his word. And in doing so, we will find ourselves starting to abide in him. We will be, as the psalmist says, like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither, whatever they do prospers. When we abide in God, our roots go down into the river. And the defining feature of rivers is that they bring life and fruitfulness. Simon spoke on this theme last week from Ezekiel 47 where the prophet saw a river flowing from God's temple and on either side of the river there were trees with abundant fruit and leaves that will not wither. In Revelation 22 we see a life, a river of life flowing from the throne room of God, watering the tree of life as it bears its fruit and whose leaves are for the healing of the nations. And Balaam in the book of Numbers saw the people of Israel like gardens beside a river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Rivers bring life, and we have an invitation to drink deeply from the river of God. The Christian life is not just thinking, it's drinking. We're meant to drink of God. John Piper wrote this, if you want to glorify the worth of a spring, you do it by getting down on your hands and knees and drinking to your heart's satisfaction. We drink of his river of delights and prospering and blessing from God and spiritual fruitfulness naturally start to flow. It's a really simple but really wonderful principle in scripture. All Fruitfulness comes from abiding. Jesus himself would have been very familiar with Psalm 1. He would have heard it read aloud in the local synagogues. And he had his own teaching on abiding, which is recorded in John 15. It's the parable of the vine. I am the vine, said Jesus. You are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I loved you. Now abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. So Jesus himself taught that if we abide in God, if we abide in him, if we abide in his words, 
then we will bear much fruit. It's the same principle as in Psalm 1, the route to maximum fruitfulness, maximum transformation, maximum growth, fullness of life is through abiding. And this isn't some out of reach, impossible spiritual discipline for monks or mystics. It's actually really simple. Abiding is just letting go, delighting in who God is, and soaking in his word. And Jesus puts his own emphasis on abiding in John 15, 9, where he says to abide in his love. That means cultivating a conscious and continual awareness of the love of God for you, thanking him for his love throughout the day, learning to be love conscious at all times. That's the path of abiding. And it takes us down into a river of grace, a river of rest and refreshing, for we are carried by the currents of God. All we have to do is yield our hearts and our tree will yield its fruit. The deeper the yielding, the greater the yield. And there is no other way. Think of an ordinary tree. The fruit on it grows as a byproduct of being connected to the branches of the tree. An apple grows because it's connected to an apple tree. It doesn't strive or strain to grow. It just naturally grows into the fullness of being an apple. As long as it's connected, all of the nutrients that an apple needs are provided through the branches. The sap flows and brings life. Every apple is sustained by its connection to the tree, just as we are sustained and nourished by the divine sap flowing into us. But if you remove an apple from an apple tree, then the apple will start to shrivel and die because the fruit's been separated from its life source. And this happens to us when we stop abiding in God. I've experienced this myself. Anytime I've stopped praying regularly or lost sight of God's love or stopped soaking in the word, anytime I've neglected to abide, been distracted with other things, I have started to shrivel up spiritually. And it only takes a couple of days. You, you just dry up. All growth stops. You have no fruit for yourself. You have no fruit to spiritually refresh others with. If you don't abide, if you're not connected to the waters, then you'll quickly find yourself in a desert, dependent only on the power of your own strength, your own flesh. You can go into the office each morning, even if you work for a church, and be diligent and reply to your emails and do your document and go to your event and do your duty. But unless you are abiding, there's no sap, there's no living waters, there's no lasting spiritual fruit. But we're meant to have God's words, his voice, his anointing, his life flowing through us powerfully throughout the day as a natural, effortless consequence of abiding in him. But instead, how often do we approach life through self-effort, not abiding? The greatest opponent to any outpouring of the spirit or renewal or refreshing or revival, it's not sin. It's our own self-effort. 
The blockage is us trying, <laughs> trying instead of yielding, striving, not abiding, approaching our faith in the same way that the world approaches life. Because the world tells us that to move forward, to do better, you just have to try harder. If you want to see some fruit on that tree, some blessing, prospering, and fruitfulness, just put more effort in, because more effort equals greater results. That's how the world operates. That's what we're wired to believe, and it's easy to carry this approach into our spiritual lives and become try-harder Christians, but it's a fruitless endeavor. Jeremiah 17.5 says this, cursed is the one who trusts in man, who draws strength from mere flesh. Self-effort and striving is so often rooted in the flesh and not blessed by God. There's no grace on it. It's fruitless. The person who relies on their own strength to do, says Jeremiah, will be like a bush in the wastelands. They will not see prosperity when it comes. They will dwell in the parched places of the desert in a salt land where no one lives. This principle doesn't change. Hundreds of years later, the Apostle Paul, Paul rebuked the Galatians for relying on human effort. The New Living Translation of Galatians 3.3 says this, how foolish can you be? After starting your Christian lives in the Spirit, why are you now trying to become perfect by your own human effort? Why are you relying on human effort? And this is, in a way, really offensive because human effort, self-effort, it's an idol. It's what we can build our lives on. But you can't achieve anything in the spirit through the efforts of the flesh. It's impossible. We cannot experience lasting spiritual fruitfulness if we're not abiding with our roots in the river of God. Outside of abiding, we can do we can do nothing, and Jesus says in his parable, apart from me, you can do nothing. Do we really believe that? Do we really believe that apart from abiding, we can do nothing of eternal value? Have we got to that ground zero yet? Do we realize our absolute dependency on God to do anything? I can do nothing is a great starting point for any Christian endeavor, otherwise we're in peril. We can end up relying on our own gifting, our own efforts, our own initiative. We may even create something shiny, something that looks good, but without God, we can do nothing of eternal value. Andrew Murray wrote this, however strong the branch becomes, however far away it reaches round the home, out of sight of the vine, all its beauty and all its fruitfulness ever depend upon that one point of contact where it grows out of the vine, so be it with us too. And so be it with the church. Historically, there have been many church movements or revival movements that have started in the spirit but have just died out because over time their branch became separated from the tree and the waters. They went their own way in the flesh and only repentance can ever graft a branch back in. I want to make a final point about abiding before we look at the wicked in our psalm, and it's this, willpower alone cannot overcome sin. 
we gain victory over sin through abiding. The person who is abiding in God in Psalm 1 is keeping themselves off the path of the wicked and on the path of the righteous. And again, this truth is affirmed in the New Testament in 1 John 3, 6. Whoever abides in him does not sin. If you're struggling with persistent sin, then abide to overcome. The pull towards sin is defeated as we delight in God and as we are washed by the word because it starts turning our heart's desires towards him and we're given the grace to obey his commands. And God's commands were not given to muzzle human joy, but to maximize it. Sin dulls our senses, yet when we abide in him and turn from sin, he takes us deeper in and our capacity to enjoy God increases. And we start to experience the bliss of knowing him John Piper wrote this, the command to obey is really the command to be happy in God. Let's turn finally to the wicked. This, this isn't a reference to people who make mistakes or slip up, we all do. This is a warning to those who have set the course of their lives towards wickedness. This is written to those, as our psalm says, who walk in step with the wicked, who stand in the way that sinners take and sit in the company of mockers. These are people committed to the wrong path. And they are portrayed in this psalm as walking, standing, sitting, moving around, shuffling around, even blown around in the wind, never at peace, because the wicked are rootless, but the righteous are rooted. The Lord makes firm the steps of the one who delights in him, Psalm 37. And what's the consequence of wickedness? Well, in this psalm, it talks of separation. Our psalm says, the wicked are like the chafe that the wind blows away. When grain is winnowed, thrown up in the air by a winnowing fork, the wind separates the wheat from the chafe, and the chafe is blown away. The chafe is removed. And near the end of this psalm, we read this. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. Now, God's heart is for union. God's heart is for us to be one with him. And when we choose to abide in him, we lean into that union. But for those who choose wickedness, they are separating themselves from God. And unless they turn back, God will honor their choice and he will confirm that separation. The wheat from the chafe, the sheep from the goats, and the wicked from the assembly of the righteous. I'd like to invite the worship team up. Our psalm tonight is a really clear, has a really clear, simple, kind of punchy message. It tells us that blessing, prospering, and fruitfulness come from abiding in God. And my question to all of us is, do we really believe that? Do we live as though we believe it? Or do we rely on ourselves and our own strength? If you're walking in the wrong direction, if you're in step with those who would pull you away from God, then come back to God 
this evening, or if you're passionate about your faith, but are naturally wired to striving and self-effort, as I often am, then learn to sink down into God and abide in Him. Delight in Him, meditate on His Word, lean into His love. Charles Spurgeon wrote this, we must remain in loving, living, lasting, conscious, practical, abiding union with the Lord Jesus Christ. Eric Gilmore says it even better, snuggle, don't struggle. And then watch as the divine sap flows through you and the fruit starts to grow. Let's worship.